Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Generally Casual. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michael. And I'm one of your co-hosts, Richard. Ooh. And once again, I am Corey. And today we're going to be talking about role-playing games, all sorts of role-playing games, uh, because we're pretty familiar with it, <laughs> to be honest. I think we are very, very familiar with it, and uh, I would say this is a topic that we would like as much communication back to us as possible because even though our expertise is pretty high, this is one area where everybody can have a difference of opinion and it's completely okay. I mean, I feel like all the topics we do are exactly like that, but yeah. No, uh, I, I no. mean, uh, being our expertise is, is there as well mm. versus in most other topics where we may not be as knowledgeable it's not okay oh so you're telling me we're slightly more than casual on this topic sure yeah yeah our research i think was rather this, casual this time Less we're general this time we're generally we're casually general yeah yes yeah but uh rpgs like we play them we yeah, there's a lot, a lot of them, them. yes mm. and we get we get our feet deep yeah but as usual we like to start with the lexico definition of rpg from Richard. Yep. And it is a game in which players take on the roles of imaginary characters who engage in adventures, typically in a particular fast fantasy setting overseen by a referee. I I just I really like I know in tabletop like a DM, a dungeon master is technically a referee because they watch everything that goes on, but I just in my head, I'm just still imagining the DM pulling out yellow card, yellow, <laughs> nope, nope, you can't do that. Well, Bad-mouthing an NPC. And and it, I would say a referee doesn't even have to technically be a person, because if you're talking in terms of video games, usually the game itself is the referee. It punishes you or rewards you, depending mm. on your actions. I would also say most of what we imagine in traditional RPGs, the quote-unquote referee does a lot more than a regular referee oh would. yeah it's not just a rule enforcer there's uh they're a storyteller they're um yeah just the one who creates the world everything like that yeah um and rpgs can be broken down even further we've talked about two so far mm -hmm. um video games um which as kind of examples one of the big ones is like skyrim or um, Baldur's Gate in terms of D&D &D stuff or Dragon Age um, even some kind of weird ones like uh, we I actually came up with a there's a game inside of one of the Jackbox games called Push the Button mm -hmm. um, where the whole concept is is two of the players are aliens and they have to convince other people that they're not aliens because no one knows who they are with the exception of their own role and you do have to play your role as a human or as an as a non-alien, if you're an alien, because you're trying to convince other people that you're not an alien. Yeah, um, which is very interesting. So, like, it seems as though we all come to the consensus, though, that what we consider an RPG is some sort of role play where you make decisions that impact the game. Yes, and that's why um, we also kind of had a small discussion. Well, and I kind of heralded that about MMO RPGs which are massively multiplayer online RPGs. In the in the traditional sense of what a role-playing game is, 
even though you're playing a character in an MMO, you're not exactly up changing the world because it always resets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little more scripted. Yeah. The massively multiplayer element makes it so that way because everyone um, has a chance to be part of that content that it resets itself constantly and then there's a grind associated with it and other things like that. Uh, almost as similar like in Borderlands where you can kind of boss farm. Yeah. The the role play aspect more so comes from the characters themselves and how you make your character interact with others opposed to uh, how your character affects the storyline. Correct. Versus uh, in like tabletop, as an example, tabletop is something like traditional D&D or Pathfinder or Star Wars RPG or insert licensed tabletop RPG here. Um, <laughs> it's very technical. That's the operating name. Yeah, and the, they have books upon books of not only world creation, but the rules themselves. And the cool thing about the tabletop um, aspect of RPGs is that rules are not only interchangeable, but they're really up to that referee person, which in in those is all kind of called different words. There's some kind sometimes called dungeon master or game master or things like that but they're all the quote-unquote referee anyway but they get to determine the interpretation of the rules and they get to kind of um punish or reward players for their role play or how they do in combat or creative ideas or things like that and uh i wanted to throw this in real quick there's actually been one game I don't remember the title of, but there's been two games that come out trying to follow that method. Um, there's been a game, this is the game I don't remember, that tried to set up like where, like, you know, the DM creates the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, set, sets the rules that was like, hey, okay, it's just a dungeon. I create all the traps and then I move villains around the map to determine you, what I want to do while heroes walk through it. You're talking about the Fable game that was on the Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's exactly what it is. And then there was another one which took the reverse aspect, which basically made, like you said, the DM the game. Um, it's called Divinity Original Sin. Yeah. Um, which is very RPG-like. It's very much... It, it acts exactly like you would imagine a D&D scenario would go through. And... It's really hard to find a video game, as we said, that that matches the same experience you get in RPG. Because it, it just it's difficult to have have a back and forth experience where you like talk to the game, and the game talks back. It doesn't really happen. Well, and that's funny because leading into that, uh, text based RPGs are exactly that. You give a text option, and then the game then determines either you input it a wrong command or if you input a right command, it then gives you the next piece of the story mm. and what your actions did. And one of the primary examples um, and kind of most famous ones is, is a game called Zork, which you can actually still play online. If you literally just search online for Zork, you can find a little digital version of it and it's still as complicated as it was before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. And then... Uh, the last of which uh, are board game RPGs, which we we talked about the Jackbox aspect of push the button where you play a role. This is the same type of thing. It's just in board game form instead mm-hmm. of video game form, where One Night Werewolf and Mafia are kind of a similar way where you play a role that you are given and then you have to convince people that you are either not that role and that you're another role, and you're trying to then try and kill the person. It's the werewolf or multiple other things. But 
yet again, in a traditional sense of role play game, you are literally playing a role to then convince other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's almost like uh, if you've ever taken a drama class, it's, it's almost exactly an improv game. Yeah. Where they're like, hey, let's set up the scenario and let's see you could, if you can you know, be involved in it. And honestly, the, the board games like One Night, Werewolf, and Mafia are great intros to the idea of RPG. Although I, I would say probably playing your first round of D&D might be a, a little easier because you're slowly waiting in the pool. One Night Werewolf is like, do it! Be a liar! <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I would agree. I To be honest, in terms of tabletop, at least from my experience, uh, the current version of D&D, which is 5e, 5th edition, is very, very accessible to a lot of different players. You, Like I said, you can kind of mold the rules around you, and you can you very much can communi- communicate with your DM, see how rule-heavy they're going to go, and kind of build your character around that and other things like that. There's also not too many broken things. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of get a lot more freedom as a, as a character to just kind of explore and have fun. Um, versus the other tabletop ones tend to be a little more technical and very rule heavy. Pathfinder, I think, is extremely rule heavy. Oh, yes. Because um, they're almost equivalent to an older version of D&D that was very rule heavy as well. Um, and Star Wars uses a lot of different combat systems and things like that. And then, like I said, the licensed ones are all different type of systems of, yeah. of role playing. And you can almost find a licensed version of anything you want to RP. I mean, considering there's like a Rick and Morty RPG that's tied to uh, Wizards of the Coast D&D. Yeah, there's a module uh, for Rick and Morty. Yeah, there's, there's l- literally, there's a Stranger Things one. Again, another D&D Wizards of the Coast yeah. one. But I mean, there, there's something for every every single, I think, genre, possibly, and then there's a lot of like TV show, movie based ones, and the only unfortunate part is that they don't all use the same system. Yeah. There's something called a D20 system, and there's a D6 system, um, and there's a couple other systems just based on die, and then there's some systems that don't use die at all. Yeah, I was gonna say the the I think it's called the Fate system. Yeah, the Fate system, and there's also. Um, Oh, I don't remember it, but it's a superhero-based system that's completely all about storytelling, which I would say would be a harder one for an intro person to get into. You definitely want something, a support system to help you out with your DMing. Well, and even in the crazy thing, the the even in the D20 system, there's actually a high-rolling system that's positive, and then there's a low-rolling system that's mm-hmm. positive. So there, there's a lot of different systems in play, um, all for each game, and... You kind of want to explore and figure out what's your kind of favorite. I would say the most plain and most straightforward is the D20 D&D positive system because a lot of systems use that. Mm. But the variations are very cool and fun because the games themselves are fun. Yeah. And every person you talk to will have their own favorites. We're only saying that D&D is the... It's not even the most average. It's the one that's most accessible nowadays because of the how popular D&D has gotten. It's now, also been around yeah. a very long time. Is that people call it D&D, not RPG system. Um, and so like that's how popular the term D&D. It's kind of like Band-Aid. It's like technically that's an adhesive bandage. But people have been using it for so long, they just call it Band-Aids. 
you know, Kleenex and, and all that kind Xerox. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And D&D is slowly acclimated to being the, what you call an RPG. It's like, oh, you're playing D&D? Well, technically it's Pathfinder. But, you know, you're playing <laughs> you're playing an RPG. And don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't hate on other people for what, they're, what they play. And don't be a D&D snob or an RPG snob. Um, but, like, the, 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 the biggest thing is research... Before you get into a certain certain thing, because there's, there's a lot of people I know who's like, I want to start a Star Wars one, and then they quickly realize that Star Wars has its own set of in, specific dice, and that 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 rolling system is completely different. And so, really, really research, uh, you know, exactly what RPG system you, you want to use before you get into it, and look at the the tools that you need for it as well. Some of them um, have miniatures involved. Some of them are optional miniatures. Uh, most of the tabletop ones require dice of some kind. Yeah. Um, but some of them, I think even some of the Star Wars tabletop actually require specific dice, not yes. even normal D20s. Yes. There's like a whole like action versus like <laughs> crit and all. Yeah, it's a whole thing. But yeah. for like, I yeah, was going to say ahead. for some, some people looking for an entry point when they don't want to spend money. Like, it's very, very easy with D&D 5e, especially mm-hmm. to just be like, I'm going to download this character creation tool. I'm going to um, download a dice app, which I know is heresy in some circles. <laughs> but It's like, not random, Corey. For, for people that want to just get into the game, I can guarantee you it's good enough. Like, well, you can just start with that and see how you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that the easiest way to get into D&D is just ask you, find a DM who's willing to do a quick, short, uh, combat-centric dungeon, mm-hmm. run you through the dungeon. Don't worry about the roleplay aspects as much so much. Just get used to the rolling mechanics, the action mechanics, all that kind of stuff. And then let the role play come naturally because you might be like oh well like i did i hated playing a bud i'm like this is stupid why am i playing dnd i don't <laughs> like buds they just my the orc just grabbed me by a rope and lowered me into a giant hole and i died <laughs> so i didn't do anything but then i'm like okay i'll give it another shot i made a new character i made a fighter uh called silas who i'm very very attached to now um and he's very entertaining to play because I just picked a very simple character that's very easy to understand in combat. Simple. Hey, he licks statues that doesn't make him stupid, okay? <laughs> it just he makes very much him... likes gold. Yes, he likes gold. Statues. Yes. Not coins. Because no. you don't know where they're being. But the statues have been in one spot. Anywho, uh, back to the story. Simple combat leads you into roleplay. If you find a character build that you like, then the roleplay will come. What I I was going to say as an addendum to what you said, you talked about specifically downloading a character, cool tool creator. They On D&D's website, they actually have a very easy breakdown of the player rules, and it's all free. Um, I'm pretty sure they even have like preset characters that you yeah. can just roll with too. and and what they do is they have what's called adventure league where you can find um game shops in your local community that run adventure league on a weekly basis or they've now converted a lot to uh, online using discord or roll 20 or a couple of these other mm-hmm. tools where dms will literally be paid by their 
game shop and run small little campaigns. So then everybody can get involved, and it's very community based. Yeah, and it's and it's quite easy to find nowadays, especially again with the popularity of D and D kind of booming at this point, especially now. Um, Thanks, Stranger Things. <laughs> and I'm being honest. I mean, Stranger Things definitely brought it up. Um, in addition to the places like Critical Role, which is expanding usually the knowledge of D&D. Although, if you're looking for a Critical Role experience, then go be a voice actor and <laughs> be really good at acting. Oh, yeah. Because I will, I will promise you, you're not going to find that. It's mostly about the social aspect of D&D that makes it fun. Are you in a group that, you know, is likable? Do you enjoy the presence of everybody? And if you, even if you don't, maybe that causes some conflict. You can start some conflict with somebody in your group. And let that expand into the role-playing. Don't let it expand outside of the role-playing. Well, and one of the things nowadays is this game can be played social distance. Yes. There are so many tools out there that, like I said, using Discord or... Tailspire now. Uh, Roll20. I don't even know Table, about Tailspire. Tabletop yeah. Simulator. Yeah, Tabletop Simulator. There's so many things out there now, technology-wise that you can interact with your players in a new and fun way um, to continue playing without having and, to stand or sit next to people. And the thing is, it's not even to be distance for the you know act of being social distance. It's maybe you have some friends in a different state and you can't see them a lot. D&D is perfect. You know, you start doing a you know, bi-weekly game every two weeks, see, if, see what day of the week is good for them. And then you're playing with your friends and you're back interacting with them, especially, you know, if you're not a big video game nerd like I am and you're playing with them constantly, you know, you want an excuse to hang out with your friends who don't live next to you anymore. That D&D is a great excuse because you're having a couple hours, you know, every couple of weeks that you can socialize with these people and really act with each other. And that's the most, I would say the most exciting part is really wouldn't you get in the role play and acting as a different character, or even if you pick a character who's going to act a little bit more like you. It's just fun to throw yourself back into childhood and get into that imaginative state again. And I think that's really what's fun about being a character in a D&D world. Not to mention after a lot of play sessions, you have so many stories to be able to tell. I could tell you literally countless times where funny things have happened because uh, whether a, a player character wanted to do something and they failed miserably on the roll... And then it was up to the DM to be like, all right, cool. Well, now you tripped, you fell, you fell three stories because you were on a roof. (laughs) You uh, accidentally stabbed yourself on the way down. Like, there's so many funny things that can happen. Or the opposite. People were rolling well, and then you became a a raving band of murder hobos that go around just killing NPCs randomly. Exactly. And, you know, that leads actually wonderfully into, like, what if you've played as a character enough, or maybe you haven't played a character enough, and you just want to do the other side. You like storytelling. Yeah, you like storytelling, or you like creating a world. I mean, there's so many parts about being the other side, the DM, or um, the GM, for mm-hmm. some from uh, for some Pathfinder. RPGs. Yeah, Pathfinder. Um, that really lends itself to, you know, leading a group. Maybe you're the one in your group, or a group of friends who's like, oh, I want to see you guys again. And you guys, are you guys interested in playing D&D? If you're that person, probably should be the DM. Even though as an a DM, <laughs> I do re- really like it to be able to relax and play as a character. But I also find it a lot of fun guiding a world and building it out. And 
I just want to offer some tips and advice in that that uh, realm to help out anybody who's gonna eventually take on the role, either first time or not, of being a DM. And first of all and foremost, I would say plan a little bit ahead. And by a plan, lot a bit ahead. Well, no, <laughs> I would not say a lot of bit ahead because a lot of bit ahead ensures that you think your characters are going to go in a specific direction, and that is something you cannot control. Oh no, I meant a lot of bit ahead, as in. The major plot points, yes. you, should, you should definitely yes. plan for a while. Mm-hmm. But how they get to those major plot points, you should not plan for. Yes. And so thinking about that, I would suggest if you're going to create a world, I would say start small. Um, that is not something I did. And I, <laughs> and, and I had help creating a world. Um, I had Richard's wife, Kirsten, who basically did the outline of the map and helped flush out a world for us. And then I took that and went a completely weird direction with it. And the first step I would say is don't start with a big world. Start with a small town and the surrounding area around it. That allows you to be very specific, build out the town's population, um, any important characters in there. Maybe just pick four. You don't even need that many. Maybe just the innkeep, maybe a mayor or some leader of the town, village chief. Doesn't It could be a place with like 50 people in it. And... Uh, really think of a tie-in that you could have for your characters. Why are they meeting? Don't just set them up as a basic party going, well, you've been adventuring for years. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't create an engaging story to begin with. Let alone, if they've been adventuring for years, why are they level one? Exactly. <laughs> and that means that they're they're kind of a crappy party. If yeah. they, they've been like, we've killed a goblin there, and we chopped down this tree. We've killed a bunch of boars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be level 50. We know that. Um, and, you know, just start small. Um, and, and here's an example of what I did for one of my sessions is um, I thought it was really cool that uh, there's an inn that, you know, the characters frequently go to. Again... Maybe they're guards or something, and they're just basic characters. In catches on fire, and somebody that the, all the people know in the group know personally is stuck in the building. So therefore, you have a quick, easy hook to get all these people in and interacting with them. And that also allows your characters to kind of flush out their backstory a little bit and go, why do I know this person? What would this person in this inn matter to me? And it involves them being laying down hooks for themselves that relate them back into the story and to the world, which I think is very important. Otherwise, you can do some other, you know, smaller, big event that has to do with the town. Maybe the town being in trouble or somebody that in the town has been, you know, kidnapped. There's all sorts of different hooks that you could lay. And depending on how creative you want to get is really where the beginning of your story lies. Yeah. Now, getting back to what, uh, what Richard said, then you want to think of an overarching plot. So Richard is my co-DM, and Richard, sometimes. yeah, sometimes <laughs> Richard is my co-DM on the story, and, and uh, he helped me think of overarching plots. So I'm not going to spoil anything because Corey is here, and he's also one of my players. Hi. <laughs> but basically, we sat down and were like, okay, what's two big plots that we can bring them from one to seven, and seven to I think eleven, Something like and that. then we we thought about what's some small little stories that we can throw in there. Well, that, that almost completely created by our own brains. Mm-hmm. And that's not even something you have to worry about in the beginning, but it's fun to think about. What are big, you know, big crazy monsters? Go diving through the monster book. Go diving through the, you know, the world stories of that's in like the seven different handbooks they have. And really go dive into what something could be that could be cataclysmic to the world. 
or cataclysmic to the country (laughs) if you want to think smaller well and even for like what i whenever i dm'd i actually had weird quirky things that i used that i found interesting in video games or Mm -hmm. other things like that and i tied that in almost adapting it to our world like as an example I had them just kind of randomly show up to like a ghost tower thing and then get transported into like this weird world where they had to do like a couple different battles that I used from when I played World of Warcraft and the combat was associated with mm-hmm. the mechanics from that. And it was just a weird off kilter thing that I adapted to D&D. Mm-hmm. But having fun little things like that, they could have completely gone off and not done some of that stuff or not done uh, a bunch of the interactions and combat things that i did but i had so much planned that they could have gone anywhere and i would have had it ready now kind of moving away from a bit of the story building here's some some more kind of quick tips i would say to be ready for um be be beyond planning at least a session ahead you should put at least as much time as the characters are going to play as in you should plan so if you think the player is going to play for two to three hours, you should plan for two to three hours. Um, that means that's everything you're doing. Researching, writing down monster stats, um, writing down a brief outline. Brief outline. Never be specific because you don't know what the characters are going to do. Right. And I'm going to say that like probably 12 times when we're talking about this because I have had many moments. In fact, I just had a moment that I planned out the entire session and in the first 20 to 30 minutes of the session... The character did something that I did not expect, and that threw my entire plan out the window. Um, and I'll, I'll set up the situation for you. I had a character who was um, in leagues with a Beastmaster Guild, basically. Uh, this Beastmaster Guild's not friendly. They don't, they, don't, they don't treat their animals very kind. They're very much, they're on the chain, they're on the leash, they obey what I say. Um, and this character had some pre-affiliation with this. And um, so their character w- had, you know, negative associations with this, and they were trying to get in close with this guild to try to infiltrate it and find the leader and possibly take revenge. I don't know what this character is going to plan on doing, but that's what I assumed. And in, I had this whole mission set up where they were going to meet this person. They were going to get, you know, connected to the next area, to a new person um, who's going to be a part of the guild. And, you know, dive a little bit deeper. And in that, like, ten minutes we were discussing between me as the guild representative and them as just a a Beastmaster who was looking to, you know, get further into this guild, he said, "Eh, I don't like you anymore and I don't like what you're doing, so I'm done with you. And I was not expecting this at all. (laughs) And this created a situation where I was like, okay, what would this person do? And I had to get in the mind of the, the guild representative. And they're looking for beasts. So immediately I was like, oh, well, I guess they're going to go try to steal his beast and get out of there. Because they don't have enough firepower to deal with an entire group. And thus ensued about a, like, 20, no, it was like a 45-minute chase. Uh, Corey, I think you you left at that point. Yeah. Uh, A 45-minute chase that I was not planned on, but I had to react improvisationally. And I already had things in my head that I would do. 
and I had already kind of thought this out, but it wasn't something I had written down because you can never plan around your players. You could know them very well. I've known everybody in my party for a long time. <laughs> One of them is my brother. Uh, and I did not expect what was going to going to happen. And the person who did this action has been a has been my friend for a really long time. So that that's like almost step number 3 or 4. Improvise, improvise, improvise. Ru- anytime I write I literally wrote that down. Yes. <laughs> Anytime I write a plan for my session, I write a loose outline. It's maybe a page long, but always that page takes an hour or two because I like the players to play. It's a role-playing game, and if you're constantly talking as the DM, that's not role-playing. No. You're playing a video game, basically, at that point. You're going, hey, why don't you get on this train and travel down the road? Well, the train's not going to let you off any anytime soon, especially if you're doing like a cross-country trip. You're just going and going and going and letting the train tell the story. I like it where they're on a horse and they can decide their own future. And I think that possibly takes away some seriousness. It depends on how you're going to role play or tell your story. But it does influence the players and allow them to speak to each other and allow them to play the game how they're going to play it. And quickly you see... Do I have a group of people who want to play it serious? Are they planning everything out? Are they discussing a lot? Um, is every action they're taking very in line with their character? Or are they having fun? Are oh, Okay, well, hold on. Let me talk about that. They could still be having fun if they're playing serious. They, they could still be enjoying that moment. But I meant more, are they being a little more silly? Are they, are they having a little more jovial actions just, just for the hell of it? Just, just doing stuff experimenting and that's probably more of a group you're going to get on your first time maybe the second or third time you're dming you might try to steer them towards more serious actions and that all depends on you know villains um and the story you tell i'm more and on a lighthearted approach to my dming and it's worked out pretty well i think <laughs> well and i was going to say that actually brings up a really good point uh, the the dm's job is not to compete with the players they're they're there to guide the players through an adventure and hopefully not something that will frustrate the DM with how their players are playing, but you as a DM kind of set up the world and then you let your players explore that world yes. and then you feel free to punish your, your players for taking actions that would definitely be punishing, but don't punish your players for going wrong where, where you don't want them to go. Also, don't punish them just for the sake of punishing them unless, you know, they deserve it. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is... You can you're thinking about actions that would happen. Yeah. So if if a player jumps down a fifty foot cliff, you're punishing them for them falling fifty feet, not because they decided to jump down. From, yeah. From my experience, like the best DMs always they're not rule law, rules lawyers. They allow the players enough wiggle room to have a sense of ownership. And I feel like that sense of ownership creates an attachment to the world, and that attachment to the world creates the seriousness. Yeah. If you try and go too heavy-handed, like, well, this isn't in the rules, and you know, this isn't uh, serious enough, it's like, well, why do I care? Like, I don't care from the start because I just got introduced. But if yeah. you start going, like, oh, well, you know, this character that you saved, even though it was kind of like a joke, like, ha, like village idiot over there. We saved him. Good job, Timmy. Like, 
he comes up later friend (laughs) yeah he comes in later and he's like oh yeah i ended up saving that village because i had an important letter that i gave and that it it could impact your storyline further down the line and then your player base is like wow cool like my actions even though i was being stupid ended up having consequences slash positive and that leads into a wonderful another point save everything you have written oh yes because you never know when you can drop it back in the story um i've seen many dms who connect certain who have been slowly setting up a storyline only to realize that many other points of their storyline actually connect in a a nice flow and that uh, a player will come up to me like, oh, my God, did you plan this like two years ago? And then they're like, yes, yes, I did. Uh-huh. Um, and not necessarily that you didn't plan that two years ago, but look at everything you've done so far. Even if it's only a few sessions, maybe they let that goblin go and that goblin's going to come back in, you know, a couple more sessions with even more goblins and saying, you know, you killed all my family. So now I'm going to take it, take revenge on you. Maybe, like Corey just said, you save somebody who you thought was non-influential and not important part of the story, but then they become part of the story. So it's always important to think about what the what the players have dealt with and how can that come back around. Because then you're creating more involvement in the world, and you're creating the world expansively, not with a pure line you know, set in stone. You're letting the wor- world expand by what the players do, not by what you want. Um and the other thing is I, I was reading, and uh, again, I would have done this before my own campaign, but another wonderful piece of advice is to drop a bunch of landmarks in an open world and then see what the players want to do. Again, if you don't have a specific story in mind, you know, maybe you drop the, the Tower of Rengar or you drop the, the Cave of Twin and Two and you leave these weird landmarks all around. Copyright pending. Yeah, copyright <laughs> pending. Um, and you leave these strange landmarks scattered around, you know, even a small little world or a small, maybe just outside your city, and see what the characters want to explore. You know, maybe there's an underground cult that's been slowly summoning a, you know, a broken god that's sitting in this cave and your characters just happen to run into it. Or maybe the tower is where an ancient goddess lies who's just waiting for someone to resurrect her or for her to pass on a magic sword and for somebody to start up a whole prophecy that's been, you know, laid out. You never know, like, all these tiny things that could lead into some bigger overarching story. And, you know, and many a time you could be dropping a magic item in, you know, in a dungeon and then that magic item just takes on a whole new life because of the way the characters use it. One so, thing that I have noticed as well that might help a lot of players is, or DMs or aspiring DMs is uh, you can have scripted sequences that you're like, well, I want this to happen in this particular location. But because you fix that to the map, you then create sequences that you can plan ahead of time so it doesn't matter what the, your party decides to do you can be like well this is something that would reasonably happen when they're traveling yeah this is like a bandit encampment on the side of the road or something like that that would happen randomly and it doesn't seem like you're forcing the party into a situation you could be like okay on a six the bandits attack you roll a dice secretly you don't let the players know 
Oh, they go to five. I guess they're safe for tonight. Yeah. Well, Stuff like that. Also, just randomly roll when you're DM. It's just fun. <laughs> well, and I was <laughs> going to say, actually, sense of paranoia. <laughs> there's some creative elements that I've seen a lot of different DMs use on uh, other random tools that wouldn't necessarily be part of it. Like as a like an, an hourglass being part of when, as an example, this tool can be used. Say that they're in a room that's filling with sand or lava or anything else. And you're forcing your players to have to make decisions faster. Mm-hmm. So you put an hourglass in front of them that slowly um, depletes itself. It's on like a 10-second timer, and then you have to turn it over. And you give descriptions after every single time you have to flip. So you're Creates basically... a sense of urgency. Urgency yeah. and pressure on yeah. your players. There's so many things yeah. that you can use that are just creative elements that you can then yeah, just say, like, hey, you guys are on a ship, so you just keep throwing buckets of water at them. You're in a storm. <laughs> <laughs> Bring a spray bottle with yeah. you and just spray, and then you know it's a monsoon outside. But I feel like we've we've given a lot of really, well, the, those two have given a lot <laughs> of really nice examples for aspiring DMs or DMs that are looking to step up their game. But... Um, for people that aren't too familiar with DM, uh, with Dungeons and Dragons, RPG in general, I yes, got Michael. one thing to say. Oh, did it again? Michael. I've got one thing to say <laughs> before you get there. And I don't know if you were leading to this point, but I'm going to interrupt anyways. If you are not confident with your DMing, it's always okay to go to pre-written stuff. Oh, yeah. Use modules. This is, that was the last point I was going to make. Yeah. Is it's totally... Well, not even modules. You can just go pick up a campaign. Yeah. Go pick up... Uh, Curse of Strahd. Go pick up. Um, uh, there's another one. Uh, like uh, the Dragon Horde. Um, or yeah, yeah. the Dragon Queen. Go pick up that and just run it. It's yeah. way easier to run something like that. It just requires a lot of reading. But that might be, you know, that might float your boat. You know. Well, and generally the the reading in those campaign modules they actually help you with the rules. Yeah. They they give you such backgrounds and everything else. They give you visuals. They give you sometimes just maps. It's it's just. A lot. It's very useful. Hey, hey, Michael. Back to Corey. Michael, get out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll move on to the next thing then, because this guy. Um, so for new players as well, it's very handy to understand uh, tabletop etiquette, because with any game or any life situation that. You are involved with other people. Etiquette is very important. Please wear deodorant. Shower. Stuff like that. Hygiene in general. Um, D&D gets a very, very bad rap from people who aren't familiar with the games thinking that all D&D players are like basement dwelling neck beards that don't ever shower. um, And if you are one of those, we're... We're not calling you out. We're no, just it's just it's the high the common courtesy is if you're going to be involved with other people, think of those other people. You gotta respect space, and I feel like smell doesn't innately respect space. Yeah, I've definitely played <laughs> not an RPG, but I've been in places like conventions, possibly future podcast, um, card games, card games, learning how to play Warhammer with one of my friends. Where I walked in and it just smelled like bo and pepper, and that I couldn't stand in there because my allergies were dying. And I don't even know if that's an allergy, but my nose would not let me stay in that room. So just imagine that same situation, but you're sitting like a foot away from people playing RPG, 
And the only time that's going to help you is right now when people social distancing yeah. play D&D. They can't smell you, but they might eventually when you start playing live. <laughs> but it's it's definitely one of those things that ex- should extend further than D&D. But it's one of those things to keep in mind um, because D&D gets a bad rap for it specifically. Yeah. Um, I would also like to point out that sometimes people aren't aware that they smell. So... It's a good idea to, no, it's like, I've literally yeah, been true. in situations where yeah, people Corey. don't understand that they, wow, okay. staring awkwardly, <laughs> uh, they don't understand that they smell and sometimes uh, body odor can be signs of other physical illnesses. So sometimes if you broach the topic like nicely, sometimes people will be like, oh, I didn't know that. Hey, Thanks. Are you sick? Maybe you smell gross. <laughs> I was gonna say, in addition to hygiene, there's also other player etiquette yes. things, such as uh, it was already mentioned, rule lawyering, which basically means you're harping on the actual rules of the game and being like, "Well, it's, this is not how this works," mm. and things like that. The issue, or I guess the um, opposite side, is. These tabletop role-playing games are almost made to bend rules mm. for fun. Yeah. The the DM is the one who kind of, and if they are more rule lawyer heavy or rule heavy, you will know right off the bat whether or not they are. One of the big ones is encumbrance. If they make you keep track of weights of things and all this stuff. It it that's very very video gamey. It's like Skyrim. Yeah. Now you're moving really slow. It's like well, and not only that, it it kind of can bog down certain games when you have that because unless all the other players are super into that numbers game, yeah, it's not as fun. It would have really impacted Silas at first. Yeah. Just carrying yeah. around all those all pockets, pockets of stew. The only thing I would <laughs> recommend though is rule lawyer on either side is my biggest recommendation is knowing the D and D rules. Bending them is okay, but not knowing them in the first place, and then and then someone's like rule lawyering you, it might you know that might rule might disappear in the session you're playing in. But once you understand it, it might it probably will come back and and be yeah. the correct thing later. It's it's very very annoying on both sides, being a DM or being a player, where one of you doesn't know the rule, then decides blanket what that rule is, but then the correct rule doesn't pop back up. So. It's okay to play with the rules and bend them because that's that's the fun of it. But doing it in a positive way is what's more important. Not just fudging things to make it work. Right. But example, like maybe Corey does something spectacular. He describes an, an action that he really wants to do. He jumps off a wall and he's an acrobatic character, so it's, it's okay. Silas is not. But we're saying a different character that he's playing. It's or, Limber, Corey. Or maybe Richard's rogue <laughs> wants to jump off of a wall and stab this dude in the neck like in one seamless action. And me being the DM, I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. I'm not even going to have you roll for it. So I'm ditching a rule for the favor of his role playing. But let's say something different happens. Um, Richard wants to swim through a river and he rolls really poorly, but he has a really high athletics. You know, again, you could fudge that rule, but maybe you've got to describe it in a better way that it actually matches what happened. Don't say, well, you're bad at swimming now. Then you got a cramp. cramp. Yeah, you got a, yeah. That's a even better. I mean, it's a really simple solution, but saying, "Oh, you got a cramp," and you get flushed down the river. It's using the power of linguistics. I don't like being flushed. <laughs> you flushed of, down a toilet. One of my favorite <laughs> examples of that is like Silas. My character is extremely proficient with heavy objects. Is like 
very strong. He uses a great sword all the time. He has very high athletic proficiency. And I just rolled really poorly one time trying to attack a creature. So Michael was like, well, uh, because you were going to leap, your foot catches the stage. You trip off the stage. You try and swing your sword with all your might, even though you're falling because you're kind of dumb. <laughs> and instead of hitting the creature you were going to try and hit, you hit the creature next to that creature, which was your ally. And congratulations, you hurt your ally instead. Yeah. And so so having fun that way, I think, is perfect bending the rules for the sake of role-playing. But just bending the rules just because, I, I, I am not a fan of that because I think it does change the game in a negative way because you're just changing rules. It's yeah. like you're not following what what D&D has set up. It's okay to bend them and mold your world to yourself. Like, maybe there's no potions in your world. That's fine. You can bend them. But if you're, if, you're, if there are potions, you're like, well, potions work where you pour them in your ears now. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. that's still fine, but that's very strange to add to your game. Well, it is a whole. <laughs> yeah. But, and uh, that actually leads me to another point is that role, whole role-playing, don't prevent other people's role-playing experience. Don't be the one who's like, it's all about me. In fact, try to encourage other people to role play as as your own character. Maybe my character's offering to Corey going, I did this multiple times while I was a character and while I'm DMing. Um, as I would offer moments to people in the group and mean like, let's see what they do with it. Maybe they'll only say a few words because they're nervous. That's okay. But offering the moment to other people is what's important, even if you are in a leadership role. We have a couple leaders in our current group and multiple times they're going, hey, they turn to somebody else. What would you like to do? Because, you know, maybe that person's not very talkative. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful moment to offer to other people. But don't hog that limelight. This is not a stage play. This is a role-playing event for everybody. The worst thing... Sorry, Richard. The worst thing I've seen uh, with preventing role-playing moments was actually a story that I was reading about someone else's D&D experience. And they were literally trying to be like, well, my character's still not too comfortable with the group. So in the middle of the night... She's going to sneak off into the forest and do druid things, right? Mm. And this other... Stop. This other other player apparently would have just like, well, I've been keeping my eye on this character, so I wouldn't let them sneak off. I want to follow them. And the DM's like, but you told me you went to sleep. And the other player's like, well, I have a really high passive perception, but you're asleep. So why would you be able to like follow this character off well because i don't trust it well sorry that's not like that kind of stuff prevents that other player from having a really cool moment where they could go out in the forest be like come on crazy moon goddess thing come down and i'm embraced in your milky showers i don't know whoa Uh, that (laughs) actually leads into what i was going to talk about which is which is metagaming A, a lot of what happens and it can cause a lot of uh, pitfalls and and conflict in groups when people are trying to use outside knowledge that their character wouldn't know to dictate actions. And I'm gonna say, as a DM and a character, I've definitely been fallible of this. I've definitely it's, it's difficult. It it is, and like especially if you're and this this is important for people who love D and D. It's really hard to go. What's that thing with fangs and it's biting that person on the neck? Well, obviously, you would be like, oh, it's a vampire. Duh. <laughs> but that's because we've had years of media and entertainment that's thrown that in our face. But just think about your like little level one character growing up in a village. 
you know, even if you're familiar, maybe you're book smart, what's the likelihood you've, you've looked across a book that's about a creature you've never seen before right. or even heard about? I mean, taking something that base is what's important. I mean, if you see a, a, a person transform into a large wolf or a humanoid wolf and you're like, oh, I know, I'll take out my silver sword and I'll stab him with it. Why would you know that? Well, you as a person know that because, we again, we've had m- multiple years of entertainment that's purged our brain. And now we know the secrets to all things. Shoot zombies in the head. Stake a vampire through the heart. Shoot a werewolf with a silver bullet. But your character doesn't know that. And that's the essence of metagaming. Yeah. Uh, one of the prime examples that we actually had in our, in our campaign was we made a world without dragons. Mm-hmm. And then literally we had a first dragon and all of the characters were like, is that a dragon? They're like, <laughs> you don't even know what a dragon is. Yeah. You, and, you, you don't even know that word. Yeah. And that's a, that's a part of it is one of our characters was like really into dragons or one of our players was really in the dragons. Yes. And so I tried to offer him a way to do that. And cause I was like, well, you, you as a person really like dragons and I think that's cool. So maybe we'll say you you had a storybook when you were a kid that talked about the ancient myth of dragons. You know, I'm okay with that. But this is a world with no dragons. So, you know, uh, you know, hey, c- come along with come the on. world with me. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's really what's important about metagaming. And it's also really, really annoying. Mostly because usually the person who's metagaming is also the person who's not allowing the party to have as much fun as they could because they're usually the one who's like oh i know how to handle that i know how to handle that and it's constantly in the way and it actually leads to another word called min maxing oh yeah, yeah, yeah and min maxing is where you're purely dedicated to how you can build you the character the best that is for its stats you know oh i know for my wizard intelligence is the most important thing so I'm going to build every feat and every like every uh, stat increase and every you know item I pick up is going to be for maximizing this wizard instead of having fun with role play, you know? Yeah, or as a there are plenty of um, posts online about how to basically break certain characters, and and those posts, even though they can be fun for high level characters, because you can throw basically gods at them at that point. It's not so fun for low-level characters when you're trying to build your character that way because mm-hmm. then you, yet again, as we told said before, become the star. And when you're dealing with a group of four people or even three or two people, you're taking away someone else's time to have yeah. fun for yourself. And that's not really what the game's about. And a quick way to understand that for a DM, if you're DMing and you run across that, that's a moment where you can bend the rules. Like, if the rules dictate... That because of the the feat that they took, the ability that they have for this character, and you know an item they pick up, they can move like 400 feet in a second. And they can do that every single action. So every six seconds, they're moving like 400 feet, which is literally like four times the, or like twice as big as most battlefields that you will run into in D&D. Then you can be like, hey. You just suffered a point of exhaustion because normal people can't deal with that rate of speed. Or maybe you're incredibly dizzy now and you have disadvantage on all ability checks that involve your brain. You know, <laughs> the like, ground opens up and you're on a medieval treadmill. Yeah. You go nowhere. <laughs> and like all of that is ways that you can bend the rules to keep it having fun and not have broken characters in your game. So watch out for min-maxing and metagaming because while it's fun in video games, it's not quite as fun when you're RPGing. I, f- I feel like the safest 
bet as well and rule of thumb is that like D is not a game you win or that you're the best in it's about like the journey that's the whole point of D yeah. is like well, the social aspect and having fun and I, th- I think part of that because we've already mentioned previously the whole module aspect of it is encourage players to read the player's handbook or the rules of the game don't encourage players to read the story that you're about to do yeah yes um and thinking about that and etiquette uh i think i wanted Corey to talk quick about because you were talking about and you love the word shiny click clack rocks Ooh, shiny click <laughs> um is this other mystery that goes on with any dice playing game is the mystery around why people are obsessed with dice and why you shouldn't touch other people's dice <laughs> i did not know this before like you guys introduced me to really a lot of board games and role-playing games in general because i was a very like vanilla board game kid like payday um life and monopoly uh, monopoly Basic. pokemon monopoly was my jam yeah um but you never played it by the rules but so it's like yeah you just all share communal dice sets and no one really cares but in D, some people are very superstitious and i'm not a superstitious person so i'm kind of like yeah you can touch my dice they're cool Look, they're green and shiny. Yeah. But other people, like, you touch that, it's tainted. I need to send that into the timeout box for two years before (laughs) it regains its balance. Or I need to sleep with it under my pillow until it harmonizes with my bodily signature. Um, I must go naked into the woods and perform the sacred ritual. (laughs) Hey, I was trying to steer clear of that one because I secretly do that. Um, <laughs> and, I w- and I wake up in the night because I'm not trustworthy of you and I follow you out into the woods. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I'm going to change my time. Um, but with that, like, if unless someone offers you their dice and is like, hey, look at this, just leave them alone. Don't touch them. Um, and then... Be respectful of those superstitions. Like, I could very easily turn around and be like, you're dumb. That's stupid. And then other people will be like, well, you know, that's their thing. That's not yours. Mm -hmm. So, who cares? Yeah. Um, Other than that, I think good etiquette is making sure that you're playing with, like, proper dice, not weighted dice. Mm -hmm. Um, And not spin down dice either. Yeah. Spin down dice are dice basically only used for magic, but they're... They're in order and not randomized. They're dice for counting, not yes. for rolling. Yes. Um, and there are some superstitions about touching DM dice, mm-hmm. and they give you bad luck. And there's a lot of weird superstitions around dice itself. So just good knowing your group. Keep your dice to yourself. And then if people don't care, then people don't care. Share dice. You know, sometimes playing in a group, you know, especially a new group, the DM might just have a big dice pool that you can grab from. We have one, and it's really useful for people who forget their dice or don't have as much or don't have a specific one. Maybe they have a bunch of D6s for some reason because they only play D6 games. Uh, so I think what Corey said is really important. You know, just it's, it's again, etiquette, respect other people's property. And, you know, it, if you really like people's dice, ask them before you touch them. But yeah. So, like, if you guys are interested in role play, feel free to let us know whether this segment's helped you guys uh sort of narrowed down where you want to try role play um a couple nights ago we did actually 
mess around with a text adventure that I had found randomly, um, where it's essentially this guy made this text adventure where he spat a bunch of books to a AI, and then you type out like, oh, I want to go get that troll. And the AI essentially is like, well, the troll arrived with many other trolls. And I think, Michael, did you actually share that somewhere that we could read off a segment of our event? Maybe we can just put Not it up in our social part, media. No. Yeah, maybe there, there was the inappropriate other... part that I think... I think you got the entire text of the whole thing and you yeah. saved that. Yeah. yeah. But there was some inappropriate stuff in there, too. Which I'm sure eventually, if enough people want to read it, we can put it up there. But um, we can provide a link in the description to that text adventure because it was a lot of fun. It was a little wonky and silly. Yeah. I shall read just a couple sentences. Oh, okay. Corey, take a bath with Chad. <laughs> Dirk Bluntly, keep taking a shower. You hop into the tub and slip under the bubbles. The water is heaven on your skin. You continue showering. An idea pops into your head. You could kill Chad and take his body. <laughs> it's big enough that you could easily hide inside of it. Play, uh, if you can stop right there as well. I am definitely going By to. By this point... <laughs> Chad had died three times already. <laughs> I so <played> Chad. <laughs> Chad was a corpse in the shower right now already. So it was totally ridiculous and very, very entertaining. Um, so I'd recommend to anyone to check that out. Do you remember the name of it? I think uh, it was AI, AI Roleplay. AI Dungeon or something. Um, it should be in the link that I it sent you, It is AI Dungeon, an infinitely generated text adventure powered by deep learning. Yeah. At... AI dungeon dot page dot link and then this is our link so you can go find that uh, let us know like your own adventures and how wild you went because I gotta say I think ours devolved into the world of Chad and I <laughs> I, I plain enjoyed that it was great um, and I, I'm sure just like any other AI powered by deep learning um, I mean you've probably seen many of meme of like I fed this movie into this <laughs> into this AI and then I had it write a script and you know this is what came out. Um, it's, it's, it was actually a lot better than most of those like, yes, memes it, and things like that. It was very good because it only, wasn't just spitting out random stuff. I was going to say the only time we really had conflicts with it was when we were kind of overlapping each other in the multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. and we were both typing it. We were all typing at the same time or we were sort of typing similar information that then it started looping on itself and it got really confused. Yeah, possibly at a certain amount of I don't know likes or subscribers or something on our podcast or on our Facebook page. Maybe we'll release the actual story because it was, it was really weird. That would be actually a good place uh, for us to talk about our discord too. Uh, we're going to place a link in our description about our new discord that we popped up. Feel free to join us in there. And then if we get enough people and more people want it, then we can actually post it in there as opposed to on mm -hmm. social media. So that yeah. way it's a little more privatized and the people that want to look at it can look at it. And to incentivize you to check that out. It was weird. It was, I think it was like 30 minutes of us just derping around with it. And yeah. it was a, it was a wild adventure and you can do, there's different like genres and there's like fantasy apocalypse. Uh, did we get the Chad one at a horror? Yeah. 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 It was, it was weird. And it just stopped being horror. At one, no, no. The Chad one was survival. Oh, it was survival. It was, oh, it was apocalypse. It was the apocalypse, apocalypse yeah, one yeah. that turned into a horror. At yeah. The end. Yeah. So I, I hope you have fun with the AI powered dungeon it's also a fun way to get into role playing because then you can have you can also have multiple people join you. Um, I hope you enjoyed us talking about RPGs because it's really something we're passionate about, and uh, look forward to 
other podcasts that we're going to release. And um, check us out on social media at Generally Casual. Yeah. On Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, places, Instagram all places you can find us. Uh, and I think that about wraps it up. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of General Generally Casual. And as always, stay role-playing. That other one doesn't work as well. Get creature. As always, get role-play. Yeah.